I think that healthcare is a very unapproachable industry where it's, you know, we have a medical degree and we stop right here and this is, we go all the way to here and that's it. And our job is to keep you safe and out of pain. Then we go to fitness and there's no professional standard. You could be joining a gym where the coaches are incredible or a gym where the coaches got a weekend certification and called it enough. And then the individual is the one who gets screwed. Who are they supposed to see? And what are they supposed to do when they leave the physical therapy clinic and the doctor says to them, ease back into it. And then they go to the gym and the coach has no idea what that means. And so we, we're just on a mission to, to bridge that gap through the professionalization of the fitness industry, the humanization of the medical industry, the healthcare industry, all for the benefit of the end user. This is Maestro on the Mic. A podcast designed to help you change your mindset and your life. It is time for something new. Join host Dr. Shante Cofield, also known as the Movement Maestro, on a journey to see the bigger picture. Open your eyes. Find your passion and discover how movement unites us all. Let's get it popping. This is Maestro on the Mic. I'm the Maestro, and you're about to get maestro Three, two. One. Hello, friends. Maestro here, and welcome back to another episode of my favorite podcast. Today, I have with me a guest who is on a mission. And real talk, if you had asked me about, I don't know, 10 years ago, if I agreed with his mission or if I agreed with how he was going about his mission, I'm not sure that I would be able to say yes. Fast forward to today. Uh, he's been put back into my ecosystem. I've been put back into his ecosystem, and I could not be more grateful about it. In a time where people are scared to have opinions, where people seemingly are a little bit scared of hard work, uh, I got to speak with him, and I was just like, fuck yeah, I am so glad that this man is back on my radar. So that is, of course, why I brought him on the podcast. I don't want him to share his mission with you. I want you folks to hear about it. And then as per always, you get to make your own decision. But either way, I am 1 million percent stoked for this episode. Without further ado, welcome to the show on his birthday, by the way, my friend, Dr. Sean Pastuch. Welcome, my dude. It is a pleasure to be here. Dude, on your fucking birthday. That's like... Thank you for taking the time. Yo, people say you should do what you want, especially on your birthday. And this is what I want to do today. So, so I'm pumped to be here. You know, it, it, it's funny. People often are like, oh, what, you know, what, what, what do you want for your birthday? I'm like, I don't know. Buy my mom something. She's the one who pushed me down the, <laughs> down the whole canal and, and all the good stuff. So get her something. Buy her some flowers. Hey, Sean. I love it. I love it. How is your, uh, how's the windpipe doing? Um, we're, we're, we're like 90%. So okay. For those of you who don't know what Shante is talking about, I choked on a piece of chocolate before we came on air, and I, she thought I was dying on the other side of the computer, but I'm not. I'm here. I'm alive. Literally. We had like computer tech issues, and all I heard was him coughing, and I was like, this is, I'm going to listen to this man die. Right. Should I call 911? I don't, I don't know, know what to do. I, exactly. I was like, I don't know what to do. <laughs> so I'm going to be a, uh, I'm going to be a good host, and I want to pass the mic over. I know I didn't give the, the traditional bio background or anything like that. One, because I don't have one. Uh, but I also like for my guests to do that 
But let me give you a, maybe a good host and give you a, a place to start. Uh, and if it is your birthday, so obviously you could say no, but I would love if you kind of took us back, Sean, because Sean is the, the founder and CEO of Active Life Rx. Many of you listening may be familiar with that. Uh, and I would love, Sean, if you could take us back to that, even if you want to go back before that, why that started. But I'd love to hear the origins of Active Life Rx, and then we're going to go and dive into what you're doing today. I'm happy to do that. What I would like to do first is is just shine a light on the fact that you, you've you already taught perhaps the two most important lessons that are going to come out of this podcast, and people might not have heard them. The first lesson is 10 years ago, you would have said that you're not sure that you support uh, my mission or the mission or the, or the way in which I'm going about it. And by saying that and by, by supporting it now, you show people that you're open to changing your opinion about something when new information is brought forward. Absolutely. Simultaneously, I wasn't as good at articulating my mission 10 years ago, nor did I understand my mission as well 10 years ago. And so I wasn't necessarily someone whose mission you should have believed in. And so that should teach people the lesson that if they're after something important and people are not getting behind it just yet, it may be the way that you're talking about it and the way that you're going about it. So I think both of those things are lessons on both sides of yeah. the approach to something. Love that. And I appreciate that. I love that. I love so that. my story uh, starts back in, in, in childhood and I, I won't, I won't spend an hour <laughs> through my childhood, but <clears throat> I grew up in, in a great household. I, I had a fortunate upbringing. My parents were my first and longest enduring mentors who I still have phenomenal relationship with. And my dad was a chiropractor, mm. successful. We were upper middle class growing up. I, I never had to want for anything, mm -hmm. which for a while, frankly, I, I carried some guilt as I started to find yeah. my own success because you hear about all these people who struggled their whole life growing up and there was like, everybody wants them to win. Mm -hmm. And then I think about my own success and I'm like, well, was this just like predestined? Like, was it, was it too easy? Did I work as hard as everybody else? And so you have some of that, totally. that guilt as someone who didn't have it growing up. But um, I can come back to that later. Cause the answer is uh, I have no guilt anymore. Uh, <laughs> at definitely all. Want to talk about that. Yeah. Um, but so it starts there because my dad was a chiropractor and, and his patients loved him. And I wanted to be more like him as I was growing up. And when I graduated college, I, I was a personal trainer because I hadn't made the baseball team at Maryland twice. I got cut twice because the coach told me I was too small. Huh. And so all of my efforts were in getting as jacked as possible. And I quickly realized that I didn't want to be jacked as badly as I wanted to party. So I, I graduated <laughs> college 135 and shredded. Damn, John. <laughs> <laughs> Five, five, nine, one thirty-five, and shredded. Um, but you know, I got into personal training, and and I thought I was going to save the world through personal training, and I found it to be uninspiring as I pushed the margins of what the career offered, and it was uninspiring because I was working with the people who the industry wasn't serving. You know, I, I had clients who had amyotrophic lateral sclerosis, and I found that really interesting, but I didn't know what to do with them. Um, I had patients or clients who had frozen shoulder, who had just had back surgery, who had knee issues. Mm -hmm. I was finding all of the misfits and making them feel comfortable in the gym. But I wasn't progressing their conditions. I didn't know how to. I didn't know what I was doing. 
And when I would go upstairs to the physical therapy clinic at the, at the gym I was at, they would just tell me the uninspiring stories of work around it. They're too old for it. They should never lift Damn. that heavy. Damn. <clears throat> so I said, all right, I'm going to go follow daddy's footsteps. I'll be a chiropractor. So I went to chiropractic school and found that career to be very unfulfilling. You know, there, there, I reached a point in my career in which in 2017, I had patients flying in from around the world for appointments at my clinic. And it was like, who wouldn't want that? Olympians, CrossFit Games champions, professional baseball players, like booking flights and staying in hotels to get treated at my clinic for three days that I owned. They were coming out for me. And I still wasn't happy with what I was doing. And I wasn't happy because I realized that I, I wasn't solving the problem that I set out to solve in the first place, which was really bridging the gap between what happens inside of a gym and what happens inside of a clinic. I was doing it myself, but I wasn't sharing it with anybody and it's not fun to do anything alone. Mm -hmm. And so that takes us kind of to where we are today. Our mission at Active Life is to humanize healthcare by professionalizing fitness to empower the individual. And, and the reason that they go in that order and in that way is I think that healthcare is a very unapproachable industry where it's, you know, we have a medical degree and we stop right here and this is, we go all the way to here and that's it. And our job is to keep you safe and out of pain. Then we go to fitness and there's no professional standard. Mm -hmm. you, you know, you could be mm -hmm. joining a gym where the coaches are incredible or a gym where the coaches got a weekend certification and called it enough. And not to say that certification is the, the be all end all. It's just, yeah. you know, they didn't, they didn't go get apprenticeships. They didn't do any experiential learning. They didn't have mentors. It was just, no, I got my letters and then I could go. That was it. Dolan. And then the individual is the one who gets screwed. Who are they supposed to see? And what are they supposed to do when they leave the physical therapy clinic and the doctor says to them, ease back into it. And then they go to the gym and the coach has no idea what that means. You know, how, how, do, how do we define ease? Yeah. What would you do before? Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, for, for, for Rich Froning to ease back into it is very different than for my mom to yeah. ease back into it. Yeah. Uh, and so we, we're just on a mission to, to bridge that gap through the professionalization of the fitness industry, the humanization of the medical industry, the healthcare industry, all for the benefit of the end user. Sean, would you say that it leans, what you're doing leans one way more than the other? Does it lean more towards the fitness professional versus the healthcare provider? Or are you, are you working with both? Are you equally passionate about both? I'm extremely passionate about both. And it starts with the fitness provider. So the way our company evolved was myself, and my partner at the time, we're working with people from around the world and their coaches started asking how, how we were doing it. Mm -hmm. And so we started working with their coaches and then their coaches started getting great results and making a lot of money that they never made before. And their gym owners were asking, how are these coaches doing it? So we started coaching gym owners on how to facilitate having a, a gym that could offer these kinds of solutions to members and pay coaches who were able to provide those solutions, a livable wage. Um, the healthcare provider is going to be the, I don't want to say the last piece, mm -hmm. but it's, it's really the, the, the closing of the loop. Okay. Because 
ultimately what we want to be able to do is have physical therapy clinics, hospital systems, insurance companies, directing people who have exceeded the needs of the healthcare system mm -hmm. to a coach who we've educated with specialized knowledge in that space. Totally. So the only way to do that is we need to be talking to healthcare providers on a regular basis around agreeing that there's a need. Yes. And then around identifying what the person who would fill that need would need to be. Mm -hmm. And then introducing them to each other. Can you speak a little bit about what that discussion would look like? Because one of the things that I loved that you said recently, I think it's on one of your, one of your podcast episodes. Uh, we'll link, uh, it's the Active Life podcast, correct, John? That's correct. We'll link that in the show notes, friends. Thank you, Courtney. Uh, but one of the things you said, and I think it was recently on one of your podcast episodes, that you're not looking to replace anyone, right? So no. we always know that professionals are like, my job, my safety, and then they don't share anything and you can't have that collective growth. You're not looking to replace the physical therapist or the chiropractor. How do these discussions go? Because I think that in this, you know, cash-based renaissance, that cash-based revolution that we're in, I think a lot of providers feel that they can bridge that gap and that they're doing that and they're going to membership models and they're uh, they're going to packages instead of traditional, you know, insurance-based. They're not even taking insurance and perhaps their goal is to try and bridge that. How do these discussions really look like? That's a phenomenal question. And and there there are some things to that 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 are they need to be nuanced and massaged yeah. as I as I describe them. Some of that is that the the physical therapist or the chiropractor or whoever I don't want to it doesn't matter what the label yeah. is yeah um, who is making a concerted effort to bridge that gap probably is mm -hmm. and they would be the perfect person for us to work with because. What happens with somebody like that, and I've, I've done it myself, right? Yeah, I, exactly. I, I literally walked patients from my clinic into my gym, a 4,200 square foot CrossFit gym, and took them from soft tissue treatment in the clinic right into, let me see how many times you can squat this in the gym. Mm -hmm. My belief is that when I crossed through that door, I went and took my doctor hat off and I put my coach hat on. I don't believe that the predominance of physical therapists, chiropractors, whatever have you, have the experience and the intentional education on both sides to do that effectively. Totally agree. Yeah. I think that when it comes to coaches, there's a lot of corrective exercise, and I don't like that term, but there's a lot of, because every exercise is corrective, mm -hmm. but there's a lot of corrective exercise education in the marketplace but none of it is really extremely well codified or depthy. Mm -hmm. It's all very surface level. Like yeah. If A, then B. And that mm -hmm. we know from our clinical experience that that doesn't work. And so I think that there's a lot of the marketplace who are doing a great job fulfilling the needs of fitness, who have been led to believe that that is bridging the gap between fitness and healthcare, which it's not. It's just, it's, it's different. It's really yes. good fitness and that's really important and really valuable. And I then, love this. And love. then there are healthcare providers like a physical therapist, for example, or a chiropractor who would take their client into the gym after seeing them as a patient in the same day. And yeah, I think that that's a totally doable model. The thing is 
the thing that you can do if you're that doctor that is irreplaceable in the marketplace is something that you are taking your time and effort away from to go into the gym and do something that somebody else who doesn't have the formal education or the experience to solve the acutely important problem, they could solve the one that you're going into the gym to try and solve. Yep. And frankly, um, this is where it really needs to be nuanced. I think that while a lot of physical therapists have coaching background and could do this, I believe that for many of them, it's a mistake to do it. And I think that it's a, it should be a red flag. That's not a negative. It's just a red flag, which means alert that you might not love being a physical therapist as much as you think you do. And it's okay to acknowledge that you would prefer to work with somebody in a more exciting environment for you, which would be the gym where you're wearing a coach hat and you could be a really high value, make the same amount of money coach as you would have been as a physical therapist in a clinical setting. I think that you are going to have some people listening right now and being like, I am being called out. Yeah. That's okay. I love that you, I love what you, you folks listening, what he, what Sean just did. And we're going to dive into this lifting everyone up and being like, Hey, you can do these things. I'm not taking anything away, but what are you the best at? What was your time? What would your time be best spent doing? Also take a step back, you know, do some, some self-reflection there. What do you actually want to be doing? Can you speak to Sean? Cause essentially what you're talking about is from a business perspective, niching down. And you've spoken, spoken about this a bunch. And if anyone follows you, we'll link uh, Sean's Instagram account as well. If anyone follows you, this is one for me, one of my favorite things that you talk about in getting really specific with what you do and doing that. I know it's very scary for people because they're like, but I can do this and I could also kind of do this. And like, I'll know I can get money kind of from both of them. You take a, a very nice direct approach to this. Can you speak about this doing what you're spending your time doing what would be best. It would best be spent doing. Yeah. From a few different angles. The, the first, the first thing is if you chase two rabbits, you go home hungry. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and before I got to the point in my clinic where I thought that I had, you know, that I was describing before where I had all of the success and the accolade that, that I was super proud of. I went through a period of my life where my wife carried me mm. financially. She was a teacher and in New York, teachers get paid fine. She was making $55,000 at the time, which was not near what she made when she was done teaching. But I was making less than 30 as a doctor, a gym owner, and an event planner. I was working 17-hour days, five days a week. And I was putting 12 hours in on a Saturday. And one night, we went for a walk. And I remember exactly where I was. I'm walking northbound on Laurelton Boulevard in Long Beach, which none of you know, but it brings context. The ocean was behind me and there was a white picket fence in front of a house on my right-hand side. My wife was pregnant. My partner in the gym was about to leave. We were splitting and it was October. The baby was due in February and she, my wife turned to me and she said, I don't want to raise this baby by myself. I don't want to be a single mom. Mm -hmm. And she wasn't threatening to leave me. Yeah. She was describing that she wanted me around. And that what I was doing, it, it wasn't working for anybody. And so I've got the personal experience to say, yeah, I could make money in the event. Yeah, I could make money in the clinic. And yeah, I could make money in the gym. 
but none of them are extremely successful right now because I'm trying to be successful at all of them. So that's when I really narrowed down on my own personal focus. And it was the gym is going to survive or not, but I'm going to hire somebody and train them to manage it. Mm -hmm. So it's not me. I'm going to get myself out of the event that fills me up emotionally because who doesn't like to be the person in the spotlight when there's 1200 people at your event who are having a great time. And I'm going to focus all my efforts on my clinic because that is my uniqueness at the time. Mm -hmm. And we'll see what happens. And it was only after I did that, that I finally, for the first time ever experienced making six figures in a year. And so, and I didn't love it. That's fair. But, but, but at least I, you know, I, I gave myself the chance to get there and find out that. So what, what, what happens here is there's two niching downs that I believe are imperative that are done. The first one is niche down on yourself. Forget about the market. The day that it became abundantly clear to me that I was doing the wrong thing, we had, we had just started Active Life Online. And I was out pitching a running club called the uh, Team in Training for the Leukemia Lymphoma uh, Society uh-huh, yeah. of America. You know them? Yeah. So yeah. I had all of the statistics on how many of their people sign up to run a marathon. How many of them actually get to the marathon? How many of them report getting hurt between signing up and their race? And I went to pitch them that we could help their local chapters. And the person I pitched had no idea what their statistics were and didn't foresee having a problem, didn't perceive a problem. So there was no fit. It was the most frustrating experience ever and the most exhilarating. And the next day I came into my clinic And I had a full schedule. One of my patients had flown into town. And I felt like I had just driven a Ferrari into the bottom of a lake. Mm -hmm. I was like, I have to do this today. I don't get to do this. This drains me of energy. This is an, ah, not an, ah, (laughs) And so I knew in that moment that I couldn't do this anymore. And, And six months later, I was out. But so the first niche down is yourself. Be honest with what you love to do, what gives you energy, what zaps you of energy, and only pursue the things that give it to you. And the hardest part of that for me, for those of you out there who can relate to this, was telling my Jewish parents that I didn't want to be a doctor anymore. Straight up. Like, they they gave me every opportunity in life to be successful because of the way that they raised me. I took all of the advantages that they provided, and then I threw them out. And I had to have some really serious conversations with myself, with my wife, and ultimately with my parents to get to the bottom of the fact that they really just wanted me to be happy. And the best way for me to be happy was pursuing what I was passionate about, not doing what I could. So niche down on yourself first and allow yourself like forgiveness and grace to say, I thought this is what I wanted to do. I invested a ton of money, a ton of time, a ton of emotion into it. And it's not because you're going to die and you might as well do the things you wanted to do before that happens. Right. So, I mean, I got out and I told my wife January, I was out. I was January 1, 2018 said to my wife, I'll see you in February. She's like, what do you mean? I'm like, I got to build a company. I just took a $6,000 a month pay cut. Mm -hmm. 
And I did. I, I, we built the company from, you know, very little to a million dollars a year on a run rate that month alone. This was RX, Sean? Yeah, in January 2018. That's awesome. Shantae, I was chasing the clock around the world. Like, I don't know if you remember this time on Instagram. It was the golden era. Uh, the algorithm hadn't kicked in yet, and you could still DM as many people as you wanted. If I tell you I sent 1,000 DMs a day, I'm probably underestimating how many DMs I sent. What did because, you say? What's what that? Were you doing? What were you saying? I was, I was going to, I was searching hashtags for like knee pain, back pain, shoulder pain, fitness, whatever. And I was just introducing myself to all of these people, telling them I loved their account. And then when they would respond to me, I would just start asking them questions, getting into conversations with people and people who told me like, oh yeah, you know, my shoulders been bothering me for a while, yada, yada, yada. I would present an opportunity for us to see if I could help them with their shoulder thing. And I would say if I sent a thousand a day, only 30 of them presented me with that opportunity. So not everybody who got a message got a sales pitch. Yeah. And, and after a month, we had grown the revenue on that side of the business by over $40,000 a month. So would you say, what was the biggest driver in that, Sean? Ego. I wasn't going to, I wasn't going back to the money I used to make. No way. I had finally gotten a taste of, so when, when I realized that I needed to get rid of the event company and all that other stuff, there was a day that I, I cried to my wife in the kitchen. It's the last time I cried as a grown man about something unrelated to somebody dying or, or something mm-hmm. like that. And I cried as I hugged her in the kitchen because I had just lost $13,000 in an event that we were planning and throwing. And we only had $15,000 in the bank, all of which she had saved. Mm-hmm. And so I found myself in the kitchen explaining to her that I lost that money, hugging her and crying. Cause I didn't feel like the man of the house anymore. I didn't feel like I was worth being her husband. Mm-hmm. You know, she's such an amazing woman. I'm like, yeah. what the fuck is this woman doing with me? I felt like a loser. Mm-hmm. And it was her telling me, you're my penny stock. I'm in for it. That, that really helped me turn it around. Because I told her at our wedding, in our vows, I told her I was her penny stock. And that <laughs> I she, love that, Sean. If she got in early, it'd be a good investment. <laughs> I love that. Um, but so I needed that support in that moment. You know, it, it's, it was important to me. And I wasn't ever going to let myself go back to that. And I wasn't ever going to put it on my wife to support us like that again. Sean, when you... You niche down. You went from the clinic. You decided, you learned, you learned your knowing. You're like, I can do this. I can be fucking amazing at it, but this is not it. You drove the Lamborghini, the Ferrari into the bottom of the lake. Mm-hmm. At this time, you already had Active Life RX going on. What was the goal with Active Life? What, yeah. what were we trying to do with it? So, so great question. At the time, Active, in 2017 at the CrossFit Games, between myself and my partner at the time, I think we were working with 40 or so athletes at the Games. So they would walk over to us and we would work on them. Really, you and I both know game day stuff. Mm-hmm. It's I'll rub on your shoulder and tell yeah. you I did something, but That's really, <laughs> you're just mentally feeling better right That's now. It. it is what it is. Yes. Uh, but we didn't tell them that at the time. It was like, yeah, yeah, I can totally treat you right now. And even if they knew that, it would have made them feel better to have me do it. Yeah. But um, so we knew we could do that. 
But the niche down was, I didn't like it. Mm-hmm. I didn't like it. Like it, it just, it felt too limiting. Mm-hmm. And so I got out of it. And then that was the niche down personally. And then the niche down in terms of, you know, Active Life RX at the time was we were working with those elite athletes in person and online. We had probably about a hundred online clients at the time uh, working with us one-on-one for like $150 a month because I had no mm-hmm. idea what I was doing. And we had the template bulletproof programs that were out. Mm-hmm. Yes. And and that's what was generating a lot of the income. And I can tell you about that in a second because talk about business lessons. Um, and so the business overall was was doing fine. It was, I think our last month, December 18, was like $36,000, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Nice. But the, the, the margin on that isn't 36. It was like four for me. So that was all we were doing. We were just, yeah. we were just doing um, template programs, which we were selling with Facebook ads. And that was eating, like it was basically being sold for what it was worth. And one-on-one. Mm-hmm. And then the, the, um, we had just started talking to coaches around that time. We didn't run our first course for coaches until May of 2018. Because I don't feel like it was a million years before that, Sean. That's good. <laughs> Literally, I'm like, this was like, because when I think about social media and doing things, like I hopped on around 2014, K-Star and Waddock were like the really only two people in there. And then Active Life got put on my radar. And I'm like, I'm imagining in my mind, like programs and Bulletproof starting mm-hmm. in like 2015, 2016. It wasn't until 2018. No, the Bulletproof stuff was 2015, 2016. Okay, 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 okay. That was because um, I got connected with some, I, I, I made it a point to connect myself with Daniel Tominski, who was the only games athlete on Long Island. And, and I, I started working with him. He connected me to his girlfriend. She connected me to her boss, which at the time was Chrissy May Cagney, who owned Donuts and Deadlifts, mm-hmm, now yeah. Black Iron Nutrition. Yeah. So Chrissy was a phenomenal ambassador for us. And she would come out to the clinic and get treated and she would document it and put us out to the world. And so that took us, like, I remember one morning waking up, I had like 400 followers when I went to bed, I woke up, I had like 1600. I'm like, what the fuck happened? (laughs) And Christy made a post. I'm like, Oh, this is so awesome. Thank you. So she ends up introducing us to her then boyfriend who had just started working at this new company called brute strength. And, And that got us connected to Jared Stevens, who is, like a cousin to me, you know, I, I, I love that guy. And he connected us to anybody who needed to be connected to us in the top end CrossFit space. So that was where we started to get our exposure. If you will, we didn't start teaching coaches though until years later. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. Got it. Got it. Frankly, we were in the same mindset you were describing before. It was the scarcity mindset of, we can't teach this to coaches. This is not mm-hmm. coach level knowledge. This is doctor mm-hmm. level knowledge. Mm-hmm. And then we, we went to the drawing board and I say we, because I did have a business partner at the time who was very valuable to the startup of active life. And we started looking at, well, what if this doesn't have to be doctor level knowledge and where does the scope of the coach really end if we wanted yeah. to take it there? And that's how it all got born. Got it, got it, got it, got it. And this was largely out of. Um, and before I, it's kind of a leading question. Why, Sean? Why were you like, does this have to be 
doctor knowledge? What was the drive there to be like, hey, other people doing this? Everybody asking. Gotcha. You know, like we, we were working with Jared Stevens, Brooke Wells, Samantha Briggs, Camille LeBlanc. Um, it was like Fun. the golden days of yeah. CrossFit. <laughs> and we were it. Yeah, you we were. We were working with all of them. You were. And they were flying out to our headquarters and coming out for days. And we had the good fortune of Super Cleary, who came to our gym as a member one day and became one of the biggest media guys in uh, CrossFit. Yes. So yes. documenting it all was very easy. Uh, everything came together. And when I say easy, I mean like we had the resource and mm-hmm. he was down to figure it all out. Mm-hmm. So that got us a lot of exposure. And then coaches were like, what are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? And we felt bad continuing to say no. Yeah. So we hosted a seminar. We hosted about 14 seminars uh, to get the right seminar down. We did it wrong a lot. And then when we landed on something that we liked, I'll never forget going on Instagram and saying, we're going to host a seminar live in person in New York, two days long. And it's invite only. You need to apply. So I put an application out. The idea was if only eight or nine people show up, I can tell them they're the only good applications that we got, which wouldn't be a lie. Yeah. Um, put the application up, go to bed, wake up the night. Well, that's not true. Put the application up five seconds later, hit refresh. Nobody checked yet. Hit refresh. Nobody checked yet. Do that 50 times. Of course. Go to bed, wake up 120 applications. Like, what? I didn't think we would get any. Now we have 150 or 120, excuse me. I had to figure out who to say yes to. So I started going through their Instagram accounts. Mm -hmm. And I wanted the people who would have the most influence coming, frankly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And um, that didn't mean the most followers. It meant the most influence. Totally. Absolutely, Sean. Absolutely. It's different, by the way. Absolutely. So... 60, we, we invited 60 people. All 60 came. Uh, with from five different countries and 22 different states. Wow, Sean. Yeah. And we were off. Was it, what would you say was their, the, the attendees, the people who came, their driving factor in wanting to attend this? I think at the time it was, these are the guys who are working with the best in the world at what we all do. Mm-hmm. And we want to be in the room with them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, at, at that event, I asked everybody in the room, How many of you, because everyone was CrossFit at the time. It was the only industry we were in. Mm -hmm. So how many of you believe that people get hurt in the CrossFit gym? Every single hand went up. I said, keep your hand up if you can think of somebody who recently got hurt in your CrossFit gym. And every hand went down. Hmm. And I explained to them, you all just demonstrated the biggest problem that this entire industry has. It's awareness that there's a problem and deflection of responsibility. Yeah, look at that. And they were just like, okay, we're in for it. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. So you had Active, Active Life RX and we're niching down on B2C, where people are treating the yeah. CrossFitters, and the C in this case is CrossFitters, right? Yeah, sure. And and helping them, helping them out. At some point, you go from that, and you start Active Life RX. What was that? Well, Active Life. I'm mean, a pro. Sorry. Yeah. So that was it. Was just getting hard to to communicate to the coaches that it was a you know like because we're teaching them how to make money. 
Mm-hmm. And and people who are, and when I say make money, I mean through value, not mm-hmm. just here's mm-hmm. how you sell that same yes. crap for more. Yes, I'm 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 diametrically opposed to that. So it was just it, it, the message wasn't landing. So I started a second Instagram account, and just started talking to coaches only. Because you had General Pop also following Active Life RX and like yeah. getting tips and things. And, like and that it wasn't, we, there, there was no hiding of it. You know, Active yeah. Life RX would say, hey, if you're a coach or a gym owner and you want to learn how to turn this education we're providing over here into an income, yeah. head over here. So anyone could come and look. I, I can't scrub the list and know who everyone's a coach on it. <laughs> Absolutely. But um, Absolutely. It, just, it just became easier to communicate to our audience separately and, and c- consistently. I'd like to go down that rabbit hole and talking about income because one of the things you talk about in, on socials is if, you know, MDs made what gym owner, uh, you know, mm-hmm. trainers and such made, then med, med schools would be out of business. Yeah. yeah. According to you. the uh, Bureau of Labor Statistics, which is where all of the data is farmed around industry incomes and longevity and all that kind of stuff. The average fitness coach makes $19 an hour. I mean, that's untenable yeah. as a career. Yeah. And, and, you know, I used to try to dance around it. Like, you know, it's good if you're starting and, you know, because you can make 30,000, 40,000 a year doing that. And now I'm just like, no, if you're out there and you're making 30 to $40,000 a year, I'm not telling you anything that you don't already know. You want to make more. And you should, if you're doing a really good and valuable job. The truth is people, there's a chicken and an egg here. And it's the, the reality is a lot of people want to be shown. You'll get the pay if you do the thing. When the reality is you have to do the thing to earn the ability to get the pay. Yeah. Yes. You know, like, Period. Yeah. you don't get to start an Instagram account, make nine posts, say, I have a grid, pay me five grand a month. That's okay. Right. Like it takes years. <laughs> and, and so we've, we started off with an education that was a two day seminar. We added to that a 13 week course that teaches coaches how to, um, actually solve the problems that they find in the seminar and turn them into money. And then we expanded on that to make it even more thorough and, and depthy and to get the endorsement of medical doctors and physical therapists around the world to say, yeah, if someone came to me with that education, I would refer them all of my patients when they were done. And that's where we're at now. Sean, what happened to CrossFit? Are we still, is this still the primary coaches that we're helping? Is this coaches in general? Do coaches and trainers believe they are the same person? Coaches think that trainers just write workouts and trainers think that coaches give people life advice. (laughs) The truth is um, I like to make the, I like to draw the comparison here. When, uh, when, when someone who identifies as a coach, like I'm a coach and this is what the difference between a coach and a trainer is. And I've been there by the way, I've made posts about the difference that were just totally untrue and unfounded. Um, (laughs) They'll talk about it vehemently. And I'm like, well, that person wants you to call them large bodied, not obese. And they're like, well, they need to get with reality. I'm like, all right, 
trainer. Mm-hmm. And they're like, no, I'm a coach. I'm like, yeah, you need to get with reality. It's the same thing. Right. So I'll call them whatever they want. But what, what, what we're looking to do is build out what we call the active life professional who can clearly differentiate from the other two. Right. I love that. What a solution, right? I actually did a post on this yesterday. Like if what you want doesn't fit in what exists, build something new. I love 100%. that. Well, and I so, so, love so that. The, the short answer to your question though is today, I would say 75% of our, our clients come from the CrossFit community still, mm-hmm. which, um, is a really good step forward considering it was a hundred just about a year ago. Gotcha. Yeah. And, and I think that ultimately our client roster should represent the landscape of fitness and healthcare. And if CrossFit makes up 5% of it, that's how much of our clientele should be CrossFit. Totally. Sean, what, for people that are working inside of what I'm going to call Globo gyms and I think that in a non-pejorative way, but people that work in those facilities, do they have the ability to utilize the skill set that you are helping them acquire? They do, they do. There's less incentive for them right now. And that's one of the reasons why it hasn't grown as fast in that community. So if you're a trainer in a gold gym, for example, and your ownership has not elected to work with us yet as a company, your pay yeah. is probably predicated on the number of sessions you perform and that's it. So there is not incentive for you to go take really difficult and intense coursework that makes you a coach who can bridge the gap between fitness and healthcare. Because even when you get there, you don't get paid any more money. Yeah. So the ones who come from that environment and work with us, um, I have immense respect for because they're, they're doing it because they want to be able to provide more value and, and that's it. There what, are, what advice do you give them, Sean? Get out of there. Okay, waiting for that. Okay. You know, but but I mean, you know, we, we need to teach them how to do it in a way that doesn't put their entire life at risk. That, yes. Because so so and I'll share that with you. It's it's as simple as it's it's I believe it's irresponsible to take the clients out of the gym that you're at. Mm-hmm. Because whether you believe that that gym is treating you fairly or not, you are sucking from the tit of that mm-hmm. gym right now, and that's what's keeping you fed. Yes. And so to turn around and say, this gym was unfair to me. So I'm taking these clients is unfair. Mm-hmm. So we tell them, build a business that exists outside of the gym. Do not market it to your members. Do not invite them to come and join you. And once the revenue that you're making in the business that you're running outside of the gym matches the revenue that you're making inside of the gym, jump. Yes. I love it. Disallow yourself from believing that you are now making double and recognize that you were just made like all the whole goal was just to get back to where you are right now. Mm-hmm. And now you can grow only the right thing. Yes. And if your clients from the gym find you online and they say, Hey, I see what you're doing and I really want to come and work with you. Well, that's different. Yeah. But to say to them, Hey, I'm going to do this thing on my own online or in person at home or in this other place I believe that's unethical. Absolutely. Sean, do you see the potential in all areas of the country? Are you given the same advice? Does, what does this look like? Do you think that the, that the market is there 
Yeah, the application is different. So when I went out to visit Rich Froning, for example, um, when he was a client of ours back in 17, I remember getting to the hotel and going down to the front desk and saying, um, where do I go to eat? Where are the restaurants? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And they pointed out all of the fast food places. And I was like, um, yeah, what about restaurants? Like, oh, these are all the restaurants. So it just so happens, by the way, anyone who's been there knows Cookville has some really good places to eat. So I'm not mm -hmm. knocking Cookville. Totally. But, but it's very different than Long Beach, New York, mm -hmm. where, where the restaurants are is very obvious. You just open your eyes. <laughs> and, and that said, the same stuff works everywhere in the country. It just needs to be applied differently. So the price that we would advise someone to charge in Manhattan is different than the price that we would advise someone to charge in, you know, central Michigan. Yeah. And the price we would advise them to charge in central Michigan is usually about two and a half times higher than what they're already charging. So it's not as if, um, the person who's in central Michigan gets a pass listening to this, like, yeah, okay. Mm -hmm. good. So exactly. 30 bucks cool. an hour is, is appropriate. He's saying, no, 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 not at all. You know, that we, when, when we teach personal training revenue, um, a trainer in an area where the median household income is $30,000 a year would be charging $100 for a single session, $85 for 12 sessions, $77 for 24, and $72 per session for 48. And all of those are paid up front. I love it. I love it. I want to talk a little bit about same thing, same topic. I just want you to expand on a, something you said online the other day. Cause that's, that's, that's my news. Like I'm just at home on all the time. I'm watching stories like their TV, mm -hmm. that they're better. And I think someone wrote in about, uh, you know, a gym down the way that doesn't charge nearly as much just closed. Yeah, and yeah, yeah, yeah. what should she, you know, do? And I believe the quote that you gave was when McDonald's closes, the steakhouse doesn't, you know, get full. Yep. Can we talk about, that we can talk about anything <laughs> can we talk about the steakhouse not getting full and what happens when you have not even competition but other businesses around that are charging less what does that look like do you go and you know try and get clients from that what does that look like yeah so anyone listening to this who's been to a high-end restaurant or even a medium-end restaurant think to yourself is the person who is choosing tonight to eat at McDonald's instead of eating here, if McDonald's was closed for repair tonight, would those people have been like, oh, I guess we have to go to the other restaurant that costs 50 times as much money? No. Not even the one that costs 20 times as much yes, money. Exactly. And so they're a different customer. They might be the same customer on different days, but they're a different customer when they're there. And so the person who, who goes to the gym down the block that costs less money than you because they offer different service than you by paying for that service on a continual basis, they are identifying themselves as somebody who values that service. And so if your service is objectively different than theirs, they're not necessarily telling you that there's somebody who does not value your service but they might not value your service. And it's not until they come in and try it that they can make that decision for themselves. 
it would be a mistake for you to reduce your rate, giving them the false signal that your service is similar to the one that they were previously at to draw them in and then show them that we're actually something very different. Do you want to stay? Mm -hmm. It's a lot of work. Yep. So just continue doing what it is that you do extremely well. And there will be people from that other location who will say, man, you guys are twice as much money as the gym I used to go to, but I'm going to give it a shot and see if I like it. Well, that's your person. There you go. And a lot of people are going to come and say, well, you match the price and you need to say no for the, for the, for the integrity of the rest of your membership. And I can share a story that I, I had in my own gym. This guy comes, we were 175 a month at the time, 2011. And this guy comes and he says, I want to leave the gym I'm at. They were charging me 165. Would you match my prices? I said, no. He said, I'll buy the year. I said, I'm still not matching your price. He said, you'd rather not have my money than give me a $10 discount? I said, no, I'd way rather have your money. But I have 100 other members. And if I give you $10 off and they find out, I have to give them all $10 off also. And I don't keep secrets. So bringing you in for 165 is actually going to cost me a thousand out the door. Yep. And that's not a winning math equation for me. Absolutely. So be happy to have you at 175. And he didn't join. It's fine. Yeah. Absolutely. Sean, with the 13 week, that's still the, the case. The Active Life Pro, the thir- if it's a 13 week course, is there longer no. now? So, yeah. So, so that's gone. Um, oh. Okay. What do you got? Tell me. That's now the first. Se- so, so what happened was this. Um, imagine buying a program to get abs and you get abs from the program and you're like, this is amazing. I got abs just like they told me I was going to the 13 week course promised people that you would make all of your money from the course back on a monthly basis before the course was over or your money back. So the average person coming in, taking that course was making about $1,500 a month. By the time that they were done, they were making about $5,000 a month. And we kept our promise. Yes. We delivered over and over and over again. But we realized that there was a lot more education that we wanted to be able to provide to coaches to truly bridge the gap. That that was basically, you know, 101, if you will. Mm -hmm. And so then we added another 15 months Mm. of education that we're now condensing into 12 and just saying you can handle more at the same time. Mm Mm-hmm. And so it will be a 12 month long curriculum that people go through when they enroll with us. The three month thing that we used to have is now just a part of the first segment. Gotcha. And the reason for that is when you give people the abs and then you try to sell them the sports performance with the abs, a lot of them are just like, I don't really want sports performance. Yeah, I'm just good. Want abs. Exactly. exactly. And, and we knew we would have a hard time differentiating the two classes of students that we educated And we didn't want to have to uh, speak negatively about the first group. Mm -hmm. And so we just said, you know what? People are either going to enroll with us and go all the way or people aren't going to enroll with us and that's okay. Got it. You know, no, no, no one, no one goes to Stanford and says, I'll try it for a week and see if I like it. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. I think there's something important there though, for, for those of you listening around the edges, the iterations there, and not having done the year-long program. There's nothing wrong with doing that, but I think there's a lot of value in having gone through the three-month first 
figured out what you want to be doing. Also get the results, which gets you the clout. And then people are like, yeah, I'm in, you know, like those same people or other people that have seen the results that you can get. And then now the year long thing becomes like a no brainer. Absolutely. And, and I'll also say it, our students pay month to month. Mm -hmm. So they're mm -hmm. like, how long does this go for? And we say, until you feel like you're getting less value than we're providing. Because after one year, they, they get what they call an active life professional credential, ALP. And then we have specialty courses for them. So they can specialize in a, in a myriad of different conditions that they want to be able to work with clients who have them and become an ALPS. And, and then they can stay on for just pure mentorship and community and networking. So for us, it's like, look, you, you leave when we're bringing you less value than we're yeah. charging you for. Absolutely. Sean, is this a hybrid program in that there is the like actual training slash didactic portion of it that you're working like what happened to active life rx what's going on with that it's the lab so we still work with a few hundred clients at a time mm -hmm. on that side of the business and the idea of it is our one-on-one -on -one coaches who work for our staff like our home office headquartered you know like our client our staff mm-hmm they're like uh, the Spartans from the movie 300. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, and we let them go out and battle test techniques that we then bring to our students. Gotcha. And so that's, that's the purpose of that side of the business. Gotcha. Gotcha. I love that. And then within Active Life Pro, they're getting that then as well. So they're getting how to train, how to train. I almost said treat, but how to work with clients. And then they're also getting the business side. Yes. Like, you know, again, it goes back to, if medical school, if doctors made $19 an hour, medical schools would be out of business. So the, the nice thing for doctors is that everyone understands that they want and need one. Unfortunately mm -hmm. for coaches, yep. people feel like this. they can just go buy a pair of sneakers, this. the pavement. So they need to learn business acumen that makes them a comfortable that they know where their next client is going to come from. So that when the wrong person shows up, they can tell them we're not a fit for you. And Comfortable that they're going to be able to, the skills to be able to sell the right person at the right price. Because a lot of people start off just choosing a random number. They don't do the math all the way to what it looks like when they're full, only to realize, wow, if I actually get to a full client roster, I'm still not making enough money to live my life. Mm -hmm. That's not good. Well, I need to charge that much money to do that. Well, I don't think anyone would buy it. Well, either your service isn't worth it or you just lack the, the mindset and or the skills to sell it, in which case both are coachable. I have a question in there. I'm thinking how I want to phrase it. You don't have to worry about my feelings. What would, not at all. What would you say if you had to break that down uh, in people you've worked with? It's the confidence side versus the number, the percentage that it's like, they just aren't good enough and should not be charging that. I would say 90% of them are the confidence side. Got it. Because, because the way that when we work with a gym, for example, this is the easiest way to break it down. Um, we don't advance gyms on a time to cadence. We advance them on a KPI cadence. Mm -hmm. So when mm -hmm. they accumulate the ability to do the following things in a measurable way, we, we push them to the next level of the education. Got it. So the first level is that your coaching staff is selling 
and executing 10% of your membership volume. So if you have 200 members, that's 20 sessions per week, every week. So in order for coaches who've been at the right price, in order for coaches mm -hmm. who've been selling nothing to get to 20, we don't give them any, any didactic education. Got it. Because the truth is we want to break the mindset that I'm not good enough. I don't deserve it. Mm -hmm. I need more education before I do. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They already do have enough. And what we tell them is go into your gym and come up with the name of 10 people who you believe are struggling with a problem that is frustrating them day to day that you could solve if they would work with you one-on-one. -on -one. And you need to be a hundred percent sure that you could solve this problem. Not 90 because at 90, you won't feel comfortable selling it. So a yeah. hundred. And then we're going to teach you how to approach that person and make sure that they actually have that problem and want that problem solved before you try to sell them anything. Mm -hmm. And then we're going to teach you how to sell it to them once they've acknowledged, yes, I want it. And when we go through that exercise with people, they get to absolve themselves of, am I selling something to someone that I don't know how to do? Gone. Not allowed. Yes, exactly. Love that. Then we absolve them of, am I selling something to somebody who doesn't want it? Gone. We, we qualified this person and we gave mm -hmm. them six chances to tell us no. Mm -hmm. Then all that it comes down to is you get uncomfortable when they get uncomfortable when you ask them for a significant amount of money. That's it. Yeah. So how do we get through that? And, and of course, we spend an extensive amount of time helping them with that. It's, it's a full mindset course load that we put them through. And the biggest part of it is understanding the cost of inaction for the client and understanding the, um, the diffusion of responsibility consequences if they think that someone else will do it. Sean, you don't work with just anyone in doing this. Again, watching your stories, uh, I see who you talk to and that you're like, you want the top of the top. What in your mind are you using to qualify people for this? So what you're alluding to there is, I've been saying a lot lately, we want to work with the top 20%, you know, and turn them into the top 1%. And the reason for that is we want to be able to move fast. And we want to be able to help people who are ready to be helped. And frankly, some people are not, yeah. and, and that's not a knock. Yeah. It just means that there's somebody else who's better to help them get to the mindset of being ready to be helped. Mm -hmm. So I'll give you a four example. So, so who we're looking for when we say that is you're a gym owner who would not be in absolute dire straits to pay us for six months without making a single dollar extra. Mm -hmm. You mm -hmm. are a coach who would not be in dire straits to pay us for six months without making a dollar extra. That in neither case, by the way, does that mean that you have a lot of money? It means that mentally and emotionally you are prepared to go into a hole. And then we make sure that you don't have to, but you have to be prepared to go into it. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, 
you will make decisions that are guided by money yeah. and not purpose. And making decisions that are guided by money always lead to money in the short term and no purpose in the long term. Totally. And we can't help you that way. Totally. Speaking of purpose, these coaches, these businesses, these gyms that you're working with, they come in with the same vision, Sean, of bridging this gap of being the difference or is it something else that drives them? They do now. It used to be um, they knew that we could help them. They knew we were the company who was going to do the best job helping them build personal training, mm -hmm. which would mean that their coaches could make a living, which would mean that they didn't have to worry about losing a coach anymore and they would make some good money on the training. Um, and I, I made that mistake. That was my fault in the way that I messaged it. Cause I would show mm -hmm. the gyms we work with who are making, you know, CrossFit gyms, making 25, 30, $40,000 a month in personal training alone. Yeah. And, pe and people were like, um, my gym makes $13,000 a yeah. month in total revenue. How yeah. the fuck are you doing that? Yeah. And so they started coming, wanting the money. And that's fine. It's just not, um, it, that's not a client who's going to stay for a long time. Yeah. And they're not going to solve the problem that we aim to solve. So now we lead with the mission and the mission leads to the money. I love it. What do you mean by humanizing healthcare? Stop looking at patients as a list of ADLs. You know, can, can they do this? Can they not do this? So an, an example, like I want to teach doctors to ask better questions. Yes, please. So, so for example, a patient comes into your, your clinic and they say, I want to, you know, every time I lift heavy weights, my back hurts. And now my back hurts all the time. What should I do about it? The doctor should be asking, do you want to be able to lift heavy weights? Mm -hmm. Not just saying, well, stop lifting heavy weights. Yeah. Because that doesn't solve the problem. And, and we need to empower the, the patient, the individual, to walk in and say to the doctor, when I lift heavy weights, it causes me low back pain, and I would like to be able to lift heavy weights. Can you help me get out of back pain and enable me to lift heavy weights also? Which now puts the doctor to a situation to answer a very different question. So we want to teach both sides of that conversation. And humanizing the doctor means um, helping doctors understand where they need help. You know, it's, it's yeah. inhuman mm -hmm. to not need help. And it's very um, scary, having been there myself, for clinicians of any sort to turn to somebody in an industry that is deemed and viewed as below them on the hierarchy of education and income and importance and say, I need your help. Yeah. So I want to help doctors be comfortable doing that. And, yeah. and you know, the, the, the first one who I can speak to, who's been incredible at doing this, you know, I'm happy to shout out to actually are Dr. Amy West, who is a member of CrossFit health. She's a, physiatrist at Northwell Health in Long Island. And when she feels like we're the best fit for a patient who's not getting the results they want, she sends them to us, which is amazing. That's, yeah. And, you know, that's, that's a Harvard medical graduate who runs a physiatry department at a major hospital center, sending us patients when they're no longer a fit for what they do. 
and Dr. Danny Arcuro from um, Steady MD. Oh, nice. Does it all the time as well. And I appreciate immensely both of them because they're the ones who were demonstrating that there's a reasonable thing to be done here. Is that the play, Sean? Like, I, I think that so many people are like, how do you incentivize a, provi a provider to do this? Do they need to be incentivized or are you just being like, hey, this is the humane right thing to do. This is how you can best help your patients, even though there may not be an immediate financial kickback. From I think, I don't think the doctors need the kickback. I think no. that what, what people misunderstand about doctors is that the reason that they don't refer to the gym or to the coach is not because they don't get paid on it. Of course, there are outliers for whom that's yeah, the truth. For sure. But generally speaking, that's not why. It's because fitness sucks. Like, let's, let's just level with it. It's because they know when they refer their patient to random gym, the likelihood is that their patient gets fucked up. Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's unreasonable for them to expose their patient to that kind of harm. And the gyms and the coaches who work in them, who are great and who are capable, aren't adept at making it known. Yes. So they're not going into those doctor's offices having the right conversations. They're not putting out the right kind of content. They're not sharing in the right networks. And, and those are the things that we're teaching coaches and gyms to be able to do so that it becomes obvious to the doctors in their area that this is where we need to send our patients when they're done here. I like this. There's a, I mean, I see two approaches happening right now. One is where people are like, fuck the system, right? It's the doctors suck. They're doing surgeries they don't need to be doing. They're not on our side and we're going to move outside of it. And then I see you with this model here and everyone, everyone that's part of this model that's, you know, from the doctors, the, the provider, if you will, uh, to the fitness coach in any capacity to the actual individual, they all have role, their role and you're keeping all of them. Yes. I like this. Yeah. And, and you know, like, like I look at, I look at what CrossFit's doing right now putting a health coach inside mm -hmm. of your gym. And I can't help but believe they have it completely backwards. Say it's, more. It's, it's, what's that? Say more, say more. It's, it, well, they're, what they're doing is they're saying, we need to bridge the gap between fitness and healthcare. Fine. Um, we're going to do it by bringing healthcare to fitness. Why? Why? Let's bring fitness to healthcare. There's so much more room for the fitness professional to advance in what they're doing. And there's so much more money to be made. Mm -hmm. It needs to be made if mm -hmm. we want the bottom level of what fitness is to be good enough. Like the, we, we can't, we can't minimize the importance of what a coach can expect to earn as a metric of what, acumen we can expect a coach to pursue yeah and so i wish that they went the other way and said we're going to do a great job helping coaches to level up their level acumen up. Yeah. so that they butt right up against the edge of what a physical therapist does yeah and Absolutely. i had high hopes that they would frankly um but they're not and i see a lot of the industry going this way so it's not just them you know, a client of ours was at the club industry event this past week and everyone there was speaking about the same idea, but it was how to get doctors 
to come work with your gym members. I was like, what? What are we doing? You know, the, yeah. the, we don't need doctors to work with our gym members all the time. Yeah. And there's no knock on the doctor there, but the yeah. person who is the person who has been on the rower for two years when everybody else goes out for a run mm -hmm. would love to go run. And the doctor had their shot. Mm -hmm. And yeah. maybe a different doctor would have done it. Maybe. But the reality is that most doctors, physical therapists, chiropractors in that moment are going to say, look, you can live a life that's totally normal. You don't need to go running 400 meters after yeah. you lift heavy weights and insurance isn't going to cover this. And it would take me a very long time, a lot of accountability and consistent effort to help you do this. I don't have that. Yeah. So who's going to do it? Let's teach the coach. Where do you think the hesitation is? Why, like, it makes so much sense when you say this. Like, yes, bring from the bottom up. That trickle down, things like that doesn't make sense. I don't know if people immediately default to it because they're like, okay, the doctor is already making more money, is already charging more money, so they're better or whatever, and, you know, give them this job. But it circles back to what you said earlier with, like, their time is better spent doing something else. Mm -hmm. What is the hesitation just that it hasn't been done before? I think that's part of it. And the other part is I want to be honest with coaches and with doctors, a, a doctor doing a great job running a business and being a doctor is going to make more money than a coach doing a great job and being a great coach, even a great active life professional. It just, yes. I'm sorry, but that's the reality of the value ladder. Yes. 100%. Um, when I was, when I was treating patients, it was $75 for a 10 to 15 minute appointment. Mm -hmm. And and that was on the low end. Yeah. And then I had people who would come in and do a three hour assessment with me and pay a thousand dollars. Yeah. So that's, that's expected in the medical world in the, now there's expenses that come with that, but in the, in the gym world, if you're able to earn an aggregate of a hundred to $150 an hour, that's amazing. Yeah. So, that's a very good life doing something that you very much enjoy doing that caps out lower than being a doctor caps out. Mm -hmm. It just is. Mm -hmm. And being a chiropractor caps out lower than being an orthopedic surgeon, yes. which caps out lower than being a neurosurgeon. It's, there is a hierarchy. We have to accept it. It's not an, you know, it's not a level playing field. Yeah. Um, the reason why I think people resist it, Shante, is because a lot of people have financial scarcity. And I've been there. There's a very difficult position that you find yourself in when you make your living helping people. Yeah. Because if you don't have a lot of money, if you've never had a lot of money, the thought of paying somebody the way that you need to be paid is extremely scary. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't feel good because you would never be able to pay somebody that in your own mind. Yeah. And you feel the emotion that comes over you at the thought of not being able to do something because you got priced out. And so you decide not to do it at all. Yeah. That's, I, I believe that's yeah. the problem. Yeah. And, and whenever we have someone who comes to us like that, which is almost every day, mm -hmm. the conversation that we'll have with them is what are you going to charge in your gym that makes you financially accessible for everybody? And when they come up with an answer, like, I don't know, maybe like a hundred bucks a month. 
Like you think everybody can afford a hundred bucks a month? That's it. Right. There you go. And they say, no. I say, well, well, then where's the line? 50? You think everybody can afford 50? I guess not. Okay. So where is the line? Yeah. And, and we have to understand that that line needs to be drawn somewhere. And so instead of coming up with a line for the financials, I prefer to teach people to come up with a line for the service that they're, that they're, that they're prepared to provide somebody and be proud of. And then do the math on how long does it take me to do? How many people do I want to do this for? How much must I charge them to be fulfilled both emotionally by my work and freed by my financial income? And you can't argue with your own math. Yeah. I want to circle back and then I'm going to circle back and then I'm going to ask you the final question because I see what actually circle back. I'm going to have you drop and talk anything, talk about anything that you're launching or anything like that. And then I'll ask you the final question because I am cognizant of the time and the listeners and we'll just bring you back on for another episode. And by we, I mean me. Uh, but in terms of what you just said, I want to tie it into what you had asked or said about, spoke about earlier because um, I, have many things on my board here. The guilt, the guilt oh, of yeah. not having struggled more of not have the guilt of privilege. Yep. And that it's not there anymore. And I know that some people listening or the story you just told people, because they feel guilty about charging more. They feel guilty that they can make more money. They feel guilty that they can work from home. They feel guilty that they can work on their own terms. Can you speak about your guilt or lack thereof actually? And kind of how you've worked through that. I had significant guilt, significant guilt. And the first level of guilt that I had was around um, having a mommy and daddy safety net. Mm -hmm. And to my parents' credit, they always made me do it for myself. You know, like going back to third grade, I didn't like the way that my teacher spoke to me and my parents, instead of calling and doing something about it, went to school with me and stood behind me while I told the teacher. Wow. So, I mean, incredible mentors. And, and they didn't, they allowed me enough rope right before I would hang myself. So, you know, there was always that like, well, am I really risking anything here? Mm -hmm. Or am I just being allowed to feel like I'm risking something? And then Hurricane Sandy happened. Mm -hmm. in 2012 yeah, and I lost everything I had worked for in an instant yes. Long Beach was gone six feet of water yeah. and sludge and shit human shit yeah. like for people who don't know what I mean by human shit I mean the shit that comes out of your ass <laughs> ended up in my business because when you live in an area where there's high rise buildings they all have what's called a sewer ejection pump and when the sewers get clogged their buildings eject into the street to make sure that that stuff doesn't come up, up into the toilets in the buildings. Oh and that was what was in my business. So I had just finished a lawsuit with my next door neighbor over noise that we won that cost me $120,000 that I didn't have. God. That I was in the New York post. I was slandered in the New York post. Go ahead and Google it. Muscle bound meatheads, New York post, Long Beach, New York. Oh yeah. It's a good read. All bullshit by the way, but a good read. Um, and then hurricane Sandy hits and 
I realized that I was about to move back into my parents' house with my wife, my dog, and I didn't know when I was going to leave. I had nothing to show for anything. We lost power for months. And it wasn't my daddy who gave me money to get started again, even though he could have. It was just being ballsy Mm -hmm. and saying like, no, I'm not going to continue to struggle. I'm picking pink colors for the new place while we rip the old place up. And when we started getting back on our feet, I was like, all right, well, I need to start charging. Like I need to start making money, mm-hmm. you know? And, and that was, that was when the dark period of my life happened where I wasn't making money. Um, and I just decided like, I'm not going to feel bad about it because yeah. I feel bad about not. So yeah. how much worse could it be to make a lot of money helping people? Yeah. And I heard yeah, a good right. expression that was, um, if you really love what you do so much that you don't need to be paid to do it, that is the only thing that you should be willing to do for pay. And I thought that that was a really good expression. Yeah. But so that, that got me over my guilt of coming from that. Like, who cares? Mm-hmm. Just, you need to live. Yeah. And so I get over that. And then when it comes to the the other stuff, like pricing people out of what it is that we do, I got over that when I started to hear about people who were influenced by people who we influenced. Ah, uh, yes. And so you're never going to be able to help everybody. You're always going to press yes. somebody out. And so when when you start hearing about all of the people who get helped in the gym that we work with, when you start hearing about the family members of the client who buys one-on-one coaching from us, who turns their lives around, doing the same workouts as mom or their aunt or their cousin, even though they're not written for them and they get better. That's inspiring. Yeah, for sure. And and, and if we don't do a life-changing job for the person who we want to influence directly, they're not going to influence the people around them who we can't help. Yeah. So that was a big part of it. And then finally, what really put me over the top was my daughter was three years old and there was a father's day event at her school. And my daughter and I have a, all three of them, me, but especially the oldest have a really special bond. And I went to the Father's Day event at her school. And when I got there, you know, she runs over to me and she's like, Daddy, Daddy, Daddy. You know, she was so excited to see me. And I looked around at the other kids whose dads weren't there. Mm -hmm. And I don't know why they were or weren't. And I'm not casting judgment on any of them. Mm -hmm. I just immediately started thinking about what would my daughter's emotion have been if she saw other people's dads walk in and not hers? Yeah. And I knew that just a year earlier, I didn't have enough money to have been there mentally. 
I would have been thinking about the business. And I would have gone anyway. But mentally, I wouldn't have been there, if that makes sense. Total, absolutely, Sean. And so being able to leave my phone in my car and walk into the Father's Day event at my kid's school was just like transformative for me in a way that I can't even describe. I'm getting choked up thinking about it. Because what, what, is, what are we doing if not that? Wow. I think everyone listening has their version of that, whether it's, you know, you don't have to have a kid for that. I think we all understand that that sentiment there. Yeah. It's, it's so easy to get caught up in, in the guilt of things and what you have that other people don't have and forget that the, the value and the importance of showing up, being able to show up for those that you do have and the things that you do have and the value that that has on, on and, and, how that expands. Yeah. And look, in the past, I mean, I just got done renovating my house with my wife. And my, by the way, the reason we moved into the house that we moved into is because my wife had visions of walking our kids down the block to the school at the end of the street. To, that was it. That's why we moved where we moved. And she used to work an hour away from home. And she knew she would not be able to do that. And she retired at the end of last year. And now she walks our kids to school. And she asked me the other day, she's like, what, what do you want me? And she knows right now we're going through a phase in our business where we're figuring a lot of shit out and it's not the fun part of business. Like we're doing a great job for our clients. I'm inspired by our staff, but we're doing the messy stuff right now behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. And she can see it on my face. And she was like, do you want me to go back to work next year? I said, no way. What are you talking about? And she said, well, I know that you're working really hard and I just want to make sure that I'm supporting you. What a team. And I, right? She's and I, a keeper. And she is a keeper. And I said to her, I'm like, no, you know what? The thing, that, the thing that gets me the most fired up is seeing you in the morning with the kids and coming home to see you in the afternoon with them. Yeah. Like that's, yeah. I'm, I'm happier than I'd ever been because you're able to do that. Yeah. So I don't feel bad about trying to make a lot of money. Uh, it's gone. <laughs> I love it. I love that it was actually there, though, and totally the process that you that you went through. Last two questions, Sean, and this ties into exactly what you were just saying. The business now. One, what do you do in the business, Sean? And what do you got? Anything you want to talk about? You want to promote anything? Um. So I'll start with the promotion stuff. I mean, if if you're a coach, a gym owner, or an individual who was inspired by anything I talked about before and you just want to sniff around and see if there's anything there for you, just follow me personally on Instagram at Dr. Sean Pastuch and send me a DM telling me that you listened to this podcast. And remember, I talked to a thousand people a day in 2018 and only tried to sell to 30 of them. So I don't try to sell to everybody I talk to. And I would love to see if there's something that we do that helps you. There's nothing specific I want to promote except that you can feel comfortable coming into our world and knowing that you're only going to be sold something if we believe that you should be. Love it. The other side of it, the other part of your question, remind me what it was. What do you do, Sean? Yeah, what do I do? <laughs> um, I have the, I believe that my job is as simple as <clears throat> create a safe 
and inspiring work environment for everybody on our team so that the message of our vision can be shared with the world. That's it. That's my job. So everything about what I do every single day comes down to creating a safe and inspiring workplace for everybody in our business. And then refining the way I speak about what it is that we do. So, which has, sorry, like, I'm sorry to interrupt, but yeah. I've written down here and it's what you said earlier. Your message is so clear now, Sean. Thank you. It's so, so, so clear. It also feels like, and maybe the messaging wasn't you before. It feels, I'm going to use the word softer, but when people hear that, they think it's a bad it feels softer and that there there's more of a willingness to hear other views. There's uh, a maturity that other views have been heard and considered and are being considered. Mm -hmm. Was that intentional? Do you real, do you feel that as well? Yeah. It's a learned behavior. It, you know what, it, what it was, was remember when I started this thing, I was still angry. Mm, that's what it felt like. Yeah. And, and I, I mean, we, we didn't, obviously we don't have 17 hours to talk about all the stuff, but you know, uh, there's an incident from my, my childhood where I got bullied that was transformative for me. Mm -hmm. And, and when I look at an industry that's underserving the people who it's meant to help, I view it as if those people are being bullied by that industry and that pisses me mm -hmm. off. Mm -hmm. And so I immediately go back into fight mode on behalf of the people who I believe are being bullied. Mm -hmm. And, gotcha. I, you know, I've been fortunate to have some people who have worked with us. Uh, I'm happy to name Chris Spigner from Seven Mile Corrective down in the Caymans. There was a time not that long ago in 2019 where I was talking about what a disaster I felt like the four ninth pay model for coaches was. And I didn't know anything about where it came from at the time. I just knew, I thought that it was the scourge of the fitness industry and still do. Um, but the way that I went about talking about it was not inspiring to anybody mm -hmm. except people who weren't doing it. Mm -hmm. And so it was, it, it was like a political campaign. And yes. he told me, look, man, I know you, I know what you're trying to do and it's not happening. You're, you're bullying people who want you to tell them what they should do. Instead of telling them what to do, you're telling them why what they're doing is wrong. Yeah. He's like, help them. And when he told me that I was driving to Boston for a seminar, Larry, who's our you know, one of our top guys in the company who helps me with a lot of things and messaging is especially one of them was right next to me in the car and we pulled over and I made a video apologizing for the way that I had communicated what I was trying to communicate and promising that I would do a better job. Mm -hmm. And that still happens from time to time by accident. You know, I made a mm -hmm. post in our, our Facebook group for gym owners the other day, like two weeks ago that said, remember, meeting tomorrow, 1 PM, every fucking gym owner should be there. My mentor texted me and he said, what about the ones who you haven't proven yet? It's important enough to be there. What about the ones who are in Australia who would have to wake up at three in the morning to be there? 
what about, and he just gave me all the what abouts. And I realized I was asking people to come meet me where I was at instead of me figuring out how to better meet them where they were at. And so I think that one of my uniqueness, my unique geniuses, if you will, is I, I, I love being wrong. Yeah, because wow. it, it's, it's a great opportunity to improve every time. I like it. I mean, we feel it. I feel, I don't know, I don't want to speak for everybody, but the messaging has changed and I'm all, I'm all on board, John. Like I get fired up listening to what you have to say and watching your, your videos and your stories. And I feel less alone, honestly. I think that, and we had this discussion on your podcast, this, you know, things, things have gotten really soft in the bad way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's been really refreshing to see someone so driven, so committed, so willing to do whatever it takes to create something that they feel very passionate about. So thank you for, for doing that. You're welcome. But, I appreciate it. And you, you've been helpful when you come in and give me validation in the DM. Um, that's helpful. I have a lot of respect for you. I think that you are one of the, if not the best person I know at creating content that is both valuable and relatable and consistent. And, you know, I, I would love to be able to turn it out the way that you do. And so when you tell me that I'm doing something well, that's a, that's a feather that I definitely proudly wear in the hat. (laughs) You're the best. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but Sean's not wearing a hat because he gets his haircut every Thursday yeah, and I'm this, jealous. And can't it looks hide fucking his hair. And I have a <laughs> exactly. ears, so it doesn't work well. <laughs> but no, just I, I think it's worth it to, to note, you know, you talked about the world getting a little bit too soft. A, a really good example of what, I was, what you're talking about is I, I've been lobbying our school board every yes, single week Sean, for the last yes. two and a half months. Please don't mandate that our kids wear masks in school. And please don't allow a mandate for a vaccine for our kids in school. And by the way, if you want your kid to wear a mask and you want your kid to get vaccinated, do so. Yeah. And and you know, I see a lot of the a lot of this stuff becomes political, it becomes um vicious and it becomes very hard. And people dig into their sides. And I'm I'm flattered every time somebody tells me, you know, I would have thought that there's no way you believed this whatever this is Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. because i'm able to believe very strongly in something that they also believe in Mm -hmm. while putting that in its own little box and disagreeing with them somewhere else and respecting them for both yeah and i think that we need more of that totally nuance and discernment it's uh they're gone i think i don't know what happened they're not gone you know what i think it is i think that the 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 what we see is what gets the most clicks and the most likes and the most comments and what's really happening. Like when you say stuff like this and when I say stuff like this, that's when the DMs flood and they flood from people on all sides of the political, religious and gender and race, all of it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, yes, I have many feelings on this and I would love for more discussions, more, discernment, more nuance, and at the end of the day, more autonomy. I think that is a thing that's really missing and whether people are scared and it is easier to have someone else think for them. Uh, I get very upset when people are like, you need to use your platform for this. And people don't say that to me. I coach people who 
folks are saying that to them. And that's mm -hmm. very upsetting to me because, again, it's people giving up, volitionally giving up their power, giving up their autonomy. And I have many issues with that. But it's been refreshing to see someone like you saying the things that you're saying, John. So well, thank, thank you. You know, as soon, as soon as you start using your platform for something that you don't believe in, you lose the power of your platform. Said, what's the point? Mm -hmm. What's the point? What's the point? All right, last question, Sean. Last question. And then I'm going to let you go because I have to no, go no, as well. You're not going to let me go. We're just going to, we're ending. I, I'm not being let out of anything. I'm, I'm loving this. <laughs> I like that a lot. Verbal acuity. Yes. Final question I ask everybody. Is there anything else that you would like to leave the people with or anything that you'd like to reiterate? Just the mic is 100% yours. Yeah. I mean, my goal is that every six months, every year, we make what we were doing the last six months or the last year look borderline negligent. And so I would ask that anybody who reads something that I've written, watches something that I've been in, listens to anything that I've talked about, um, understand that I'm giving you the best of what I have without a filter um, in the moment with the information that I have in the moment. And as I get new information, I'm, I will change what I say. I will change what I believe. I will change how I say it, where I say it. And so there are going to be people listening to this today who will probably have been offended in some way, shape or form. And I don't mean to offend anybody. And all that that means is I haven't found the right way to connect with you. It, it doesn't mean that you're wrong. It means that I haven't found the right way to connect with you. And my ongoing interest is to find that because I think that the faster I can find that, the faster we can connect and the mission that we're trying to push forward can go. Cause I think that in the end we would all agree that it's a valuable one. Yes. If I articulate it properly. Yes, absolutely. And I answer yeah. every DM every email. It's borderline unhealthy, <laughs> but send them. I'm so fucking here for it, John. I'm so here for it. Dude, <laughs> thank you. This has been such a treat, such an honor. Just end it's on your birthday. Happy birthday, Sean. Just thank you for everything. This has been, it's so fun to me right now, just in this moment, thinking back to my initial encounters with Active Life Rx, obviously through social media and now present day and just the growth and coming back into the ecosystem. And I appreciate you, Sean. So, so, so very much. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate you too, Shante. You folks listen. You're welcome, Sean. You folks listening, all of the things will be in the show notes and we both appreciate you. We know you could have been doing anything and you chose to listen to us. Absolutely, 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 incredibly grateful. If you found this episode helpful, if you're picking up what Dr. Sean is putting down, do me a solid and share this with someone who you think might enjoy it. Share this with someone who you think it might help. Like the little intro song music says, movement unites us all. All right, officially wrapping it up. Until next time, friends, Dr. Sean Pestuch and Maestro, 